Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from a secret underground bunker, deep behind enemy lines, one of the last few voices of reason is on. This is the A.J. Bruno Show. On now. Hey everyone, it's the A.J. Bruno Show. Uh, this is your, as usual, uh, A.J. Bruno. Uh, a big show tonight, so stay tuned, keep listening. Should be good. Uh, we'll be discussing a number of different topics. I'll uh, we'll have Shucky Schmucky Schumer. And maybe you have a repeat of Tony Frank on today also. So keep listening, and we'll see what happens. It should be good. Uh, the number is 347-308-8073. want to call in in a little bit. I'm going to start off with today's memo. Let's talk about this whole Frank issue. This is on my mind, uh, really bothering me a little bit. Uh, you know, the nerve of this guy, the nerve of, Barney Frank, who shouldn't even be a congressman as it is. The man is as corrupt as anything. He's a criminal. He had some gay prostitution ring being run in his house in the 80s, and, you know, that's fine. He can get away with that all he wants, and God knows whatever else he's up to. You know, he's fine. He, he's, you know, he's great. He deserves to be the chairman of one of the most important committees. That, that's just fine. But... <laughs> And the nerve of him to call Justice Scalia homophobe. This man, who certainly one of the most brilliant jurists ever, not to mention the fact that, you know, whatever happened to the judicial branch is supposed to be immune from this whole politicking, which is what he's doing. And that's fine. The left doesn't care that he's uh, name-calling a member of the Supreme Court. That's fine. You know, he can do that all he wants. All he wants. And, you know, they don't tell him to stop. You know? Meanwhile, something stupid like, you know, years ago, the, the whole thing with Strom Thurmond comes to mind. Um, you know, where he just said during the guy's birthday party, uh, that, that Trump wants to during Strom Thurmond's birthday party. You know, the country would have been a lot better off if he'd been elected president. And that's construed as a racist remark because he's being nice to him at his own party. You know, that's a huge outrage, and that, that uh, can cripple someone's political career for a while. But it's fine. He, Frank can say whatever he wants. He can say whatever he wants. Um... Uh, is Harry Harry Reid on his case now? Uh, that would be a shock. But you know, maybe maybe some of them are trying to distance themselves from him. You know, maybe they see, hey, we can't just say whatever we want because eventually it's going to come back and bite us all in the ass. But see, this is the thing with these with these liberal Democrats. Their first priority is their instinct for political survival. That's always number one on their list. As long as they can survive as a party, as long as they can continue 
their extreme policies, hold on to power, expand their base of power. That's all they care about. Don't do whatever it takes. Don't do whatever it takes. Maybe they see that uh, most Americans are offended and find this sort of comment to be outrageous. Maybe if uh, Barney Frank, or as as Dick Army once called him, Barney Fag. (laughs) Well, we don't want to cause trouble with that, though. Maybe if he was more focused on the financial problems that he's supposed to be worried about, Unless on going on 365gaynews.com, whatever the site was called, and trashing Justice Scalia with this hate word, maybe we could solve some of these economic problems. But no, not on time's first priority. And another thing, he said that uh, you know he wouldn't want these issues coming before the court now because he got guys like Scalia and some of the other justices uh, who wouldn't put up, who no wouldn't put up, who wouldn't. Uh, make gay marriage the law of the land and say that it's an injustice, that it's a constitutional right. Maybe the real reason why they wouldn't allow that is because, oh, I don't know, uh, that right doesn't exist in the Constitution. Hmm. But no, liberals don't care about that. They take the Constitution, the most sacred document we have in this country, and they twist it and pervert it and manipulate it to fit whatever they want. Oh, yeah. Well, one of my listeners just said that uh, reads on Scully. And that makes more sense. I wouldn't think he'd go after Frank. I hadn't heard about that. Yeah, of course. Of course they're attacking Scully. Because they, they hate him. They hate what he stands for. And you know, I remember Scalia said something, which, which made a lot of sense. Someone asked him about his personal views. Um, I think it, was, it might have been at some English university or something last year. And he said, you know, I'm conservative in my personal views, but that's not how I look at judicial cases. And if you look at his philosophy, I think that's true. If these justices, regardless, conservative, liberal, or middle, whatever, if they separated their personal views from their judicial views, which a lot don't, um, they've come to similar conclusions. They've come to similar conclusions. The Constitution doesn't guarantee this right to gay marriage or the right, right to murder unborn children or any other you know, imaginary rights that the left seems to find within our Constitution. But yet, they seem to find it anyway. You know? Like this imaginary right to privacy that they found with Roe v. Wade or... I guess the same the same right with that Lawrence Street, Texas case in L three. Um, and now they think and now they think that they can just you know, if they're not gonna get their way, then let's just go and, and launch these personal attacks, these vicious, uncalled for, ridiculous Things. And that's fine. That's fine. It's just such a double standard. If this were some sort of conservative issue, the tables were turned, it would definitely not be the same circumstance. But there's always this double standard. The liberals can say whatever they want. The, the radicals can say whatever they want. 
They can do whatever they want. And they get away with it. Shouldn't let them get away with it. But they do. You know, the least they could do, of course, this is not a man, so he wouldn't know. Even, even about, uh, Pelosi, even she accidentally referred to him as Congresswoman, uh, it goes to show you. Uh, <laughs> you know, if he was even an, if he was even an ounce of the essence of a man within him, he would apologize to Justice Scalia. But of course he won't do that. Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, you know, if they separated their personal views from what's constitutional, it would be a totally different story. It would be a totally different story. You know, it's interesting how the liberals, the left, they love, they love to um, intervene in people's financial affairs. They love to have maximum control over people's lives uh, when it comes when it comes to that, you know, to to because they know if, if people feel dependent on the government, they can do whatever they want, and they'll have their support. But but I love the double standing and the liberals. They, the liberals always they always have a double standard, of course. Because something that applies to them doesn't apply to everyone else. We we know that. You know that. Um, but when it comes to social issues like that, oh no, we can't have any intervention in that in that circumstance. That's fine. We have to allow gay marriage. We have to go and infringe on the state's rights and get rid of a lot of these sodomy laws like we did in Lawrence, Texas. We got rid of all the ones that applied to gay sodomy. You know, whatever happened, in fact, whatever happened to states' rights? Shouldn't states be able to make those decisions for themselves when it comes to that? Yeah, I'm sure the people be able to decide this. But yet, they don't care. They don't care what the people want. Because there's this liberal elite that wants to push their agenda. In this case, they want to push their cultural agenda, particularly. And anyone who would even dare, who would even dare to say or do anything about it, um, well, but you can't do that. You can't do that because they just won't allow it. And if, if you say anything about it, well, then that's hate speech, you know. Or you're a homophobe or you're, uh, whatever, against women's rights, or against gay rights, or against minority rights, what have you. All of this, all of this. All right, 347-308-8073 is the number. You want to comment on that before we get into any other issues? For anyone listening, um, let your friends know about the new time. I know people know about uh, the Sunday show. It seems to be doing well. Um, you know, we're on 5 to 7 then. I just started this thing 10 to 12 on the weekday. I don't think enough people know that yet. So let's get the word out. Um, yeah, look, how many other shows are you going to listen to on here from the future of the United States? 
And I'm always out there, I'm always out there promising to have a coach to people. And, uh, you know, so if, if you ever want a job in my administration, it's a good way to do it. It's a good way to do it. Uh, you know, I, I do have a Nixon-esque uh, list of political enemies, so I don't think you want to be on that. <laughs> but uh, don't get me wrong, I like Nixon. But I also like that idea, too. Uh, but, hey, it's, it's always good to have conservative allies in the political sphere, so let's all get talking with them and whatnot. Um, I want to touch on the whole thing with this, this cop killer out in California. Um, and, yeah, this gets into a delicate area. We're all touchy and blah, 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 what have you. But I think... I think that it has to be said. I think that it has to be said. Um, this whole this whole ordeal. This guy is a uh, a rapist. He's a murderer. Killed four cops. And I think the four cops just happened to be white too. But then you look, and certainly I'm not applying this to all all blacks, but it shows that there are some who sympathize with this. And it's really sickening that they would. So there's, I don't know, perhaps a hundred you know, scores of uh, protesters out there you know, saying that this is racism and to free this guy and whatever, and defending him. And this is clearly a racial issue. This is clearly a racial issue. I mean, the nerve of them to go out there and do that. And people try and say that there's... Uh, a lot of racism in this country from whites toward black. Might be some of it. Some of it's unfounded, some of it is. Depends. But with that said, there is a lot more racism from a lot of blacks towards whites. And this just goes to show that some of them, even if it's a small percentage, it's disturbing. Because some of them are so hateful. So hateful. And think that, you know, the whole police force, which is it's mostly white out in Oakland, um, is like some racial army out there to get them. Well, if you're not out there committing crimes, no one's going to go after you. If you're not like this, this I don't want to call them an animal beyond that. Um, I don't remember the guy's name. Not that his name really really matters. Um, you know, but he's out there raping, killing cops, and that's fine. I don't think it gets much lower in society. It certainly doesn't. It certainly doesn't. And for anyone, for anyone to support someone like this, Beyond me. Why? Why on earth would someone, regardless of your race, regardless of your beliefs, have sympathy for something like this? And then to think that he was the victim, not the people he raped, not the people he killed, not the people's families and friends who are forever traumatized and, and 
broken by this. But this guy is the victim of parable. You know, I mean, wow. And this guy gets, the guy who organized this gets on O'Reilly before. I don't know why. Why the earth they would put someone, you know, and I don't even think he, he doesn't even deserve a voice. Because the guy's an extremist. He's an extremist. Yeah. But he gets on O'Reilly. I haven't got him on O'Reilly yet, but I'm, I'm getting there. I've been on CNN and uh, NBC and C-SPAN. Still on Fox, though. But, uh, hey, maybe if I have a uh, hate protest like that, I'll get on to. Anyway. Um, but look, for anybody to defend someone like this is way, way over the line. All right, if you have a comment on the Frank thing or this or any, anything, any topic you want to bring up, let me know. 347-308-8073 is the number. Uh, I want to mention, let's stay in this whole race topic. I want to mention this, this preposterous thing that's happening in, happened in Georgia the past few days. So I guess the Republicans control the, the legislature there. Um, and the Democratic Party... The Democrat, the state Democrats, wanted to make Obama uh, an honorary member of their caucus. And so the Republicans agreed to sign off on this, whatever, except for one thing. And they refused to remove this phrase. The phrase, anyone doesn't know, the phrase was that he has an unimpeachable reputation for integrity. Like, really? Really? Last time I checked, he's lying about pretty much everything. He's And he doesn't have much integrity. Look at his actions. How could one look at the actions of this guy and feel that he has any any semblance of integrity? He doesn't. He has none. He has none whatsoever. And for anyone to... No, not even that. And for them to refuse to take it out of there. And then, even worse than that, even worse than that, a number of the Democrats there, of course, black, black racists. Um, And once again, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of great black patriots in this country. J.C. Watt, Alan Keyes, Lynn Swan, Ken Blackwell... The list goes on. There's a lot of guys like that. But these people are not patriots. You have, you know, the the ones, the quotes that I saw from them were all having black Democrats there. Um, I think there were one or two congressmen also who had the nerve to call this racist. Really, so it's racist to say that. President Hussein. Oh no, I called him President Hussein, so how dare I do that? Ooh. Anyway, so it's racist to say that he doesn't have integrity. Well, I don't think he has integrity. Does that make me a racist? No? That makes me a racist um, to say that because somebody would break their promises? 
uh, whether or not I agree with these promises, to say that somebody would completely, completely disregard the Constitution. And I love how this radical professor I have said that uh, Bush should have been impeached uh, for Iraq and all that, whatever. Uh, really, really. Because last time I checked, President Bush upheld the oath that he took, the oath that he swore, defended the Constitution of this country. Defended. On the other hand, has this administration, has this president done the same thing? He's done the contrary. He's undergone policies that have no respect for the rights guaranteed in his Constitution. His pro-abortion policies come to mind. Um, he's left this country weakened with his very dangerous, appealing defense policies. He's led us on a road to dangerous socialism. All these things. He's done all of this. Well, I think he's broken the oath that he made when he was sworn in. Now, if he's broken that oath, I'm a little bit confused then why exactly he would have an unimpeachable reputation for integrity. Really, I mean, <laughs> is that the standard we use for one to have integrity in this day and age? Is that what it's good to get? But, you know, he's Barack Obama. He's the, you know, he's the chosen one. He's the Messiah. It's a return to Camelot. All is well. The streets are paved with gold and the rivers flow of milk and honey. And that's fine. It's fine and dandy. He can say and do whatever he wants. And it doesn't tarnish his image at all. He's great. You know? He can go out there and parade himself like he's some celebrity and go on the Tonight Show and, and go do his town halls thinking that the campaign's still going on when newsflash, unfortunately, he won almost five months ago, but maybe he just doesn't realize that. And he can, he can do all these things. That's fine. That's fine. But how dare anyone question the Messiah? How dare they? It's just wrong to do that. Shame on us. We should be ashamed of ourselves for, for ever challenging his omnipotence, his astounding level of leadership. You know, I'm so sorry that I ever Never said those horrible things about a great person. Yeah. <laughs> Not really. But um <clears throat> just goes to show. Just goes to show. But meanwhile, when President Bush was in office, you could say the most hateful and vile things about him. 
And that was just fine. Because they were allowed to do that. You know, that was accepted. That was accepted. I mean, really. <laughs> now, people could belittle President Bush's intelligence, for instance, but yet, no, no, the President Hussein, he's brilliant. You know, he has such a, such a great ability to absorb knowledge. He has such an amazing cognitive capacity. We, we can't ever, we can't ever challenge them. You know, so let's, let us certainly apologize for every joke. I mean, wow. We can't even question the panel. Look at the double standard. And I love all these so-called, these so-called conservatives who say, who say that we should wish him all the best. We should hope that he has a successful presidency. You know? We, because if we want him to fail, what that means we want America to fail. We don't want America to fail, do we? Because, you know, he really needs America. Of course, he represents he represents this country. <laughs> well, you know what? If his viewpoints are American, if his perverse vision of our country is supposed to be American, but I want no part of it. I love this country. I love what this country stands for, what its principles were. But if those principles are no longer respected, if those principles are squandered, Then what have we? Then what have we left? Well, certainly nothing that would vaguely resemble what the founders established for our country. Certainly not that. Okay, are we just going to allow this to happen? He's single-handedly destroying this country. A lot of the wings, a lot of the bitch detractors went off there and said that, said that President Bush is doing On the contrary. On the contrary. President Bush made this country stronger. So it might not have been perfect to um, no administration. Oh, yes. But did we leave this country stronger? And we found it. And I think, I think he did just that. 
I think he's certainly did just that. He certainly did. And for anyone. For anyone. To just ignore the the, the accomplishments of those eight years. Is downright downright irresponsible. Downright irresponsible. And it's just false. It's just false. But you know what? When this country is but a shadow of its former self. And when we're attacked by terrorists, and when this attack far exceeds anything we saw on 9 11 or anything we've seen before, are you going to blame President Bush for this? Are they going to blame President Bush for this? I'll tell you, it's not President Bush's fault. It's anything but President Bush's fault. It's the fault of this current administration being irresponsible. It's the fault of this current administration having no regard at all for this country. Having no respect for what made it great. That's what it boils down to for me. Yeah. I think it's the truth. I mean, is there really anything else to it? Did we keep this country did we live stronger than we've left? Did we, we found it? I believe we did. I believe that we did. Now, and if, you know, there's a lot of people who are misguided out there who don't understand that. And I hope that they do one day. I think one day the accomplishments of this administration, the accomplishments of President Bush, will be appreciated. It'll be a different day. It'll be a different day when that comes. Okay, we're going to take a break now. Um, since we mentioned Mr. Frank before, why don't we why don't we play the uh, liberal wisdom timeout? It's ten minutes. Okay, back after this. Well, hello there. This is former Vice President Al Gore. And okay, that was not the right sound clip. Apparently, the sound guy uh, 
made a bit of a mistake. Okay, do we have the do we have the right clip loaded up? We do. Okay. Alright. He's gonna have to be fired. Anyway, here it is back after the break. Thanks. Oh hello, it's me, Bonnie Flank. I don't know why you're listening to this show with this crazy white wing nut job. This guy is crazy, ain't that gay? He's all these things. And why are you people listening to him? He's horrible. You should be listening to me. Now go out there and help fight for free equal rights for gay marriage, okay? Instead of listening to this idiot who's prejudiced, who's a bigot, who's against equal rights. And now shame on you people for listening to him. Shame on you. And you, I don't know, you stupid conservatives. And if any of you are, are not conservatives and you're wishing to this guy, then shame on you too. Shame on you. Now, now what we should be out there trying to get our great president Barack Obama to go there and support, support gay marriage. It's one of the most important issues. One of the most important issues to support. And anyone, anyone who's not against it should be ashamed of themselves. Now, hopefully one day, all states can be as, as, uh, as enlightened as the great state of Massachusetts and support this, this matter of equal rights. Now, I urge you to, to not listen to this idiot who is against that, who is against equality for all, you know, because there's nothing wrong with it, there's nothing wrong with sodomy, or uh, should be ashamed of yourself if you... If you think there's something wrong with it, it's not disgusting or anything. I would know from first-hand experience. Or would I go not go into one right now? Uh, but, uh, okay, uh, well, thank you very much for, for listening to me about this. And I, I hope I've certainly uh, changed your mind re regarding this. Uh, uh, thank you very much. Uh, uh, this is uh, Congressman uh, Bonnie Frank. Not not Congressman Bonnie Fogg, as uh as uh, Dick Army once called me, uh, that's, that's not very funny. I heard that one a lot in school. And it was very hurtful, very offensive. So shame on you if you ever say that. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, thank you very much uh, for supporting uh, for equal rights. Uh, so for supporting gay marriage. Uh, hopefully we can uh, uh, get uh, President Obama uh, to get rid of that stupid don't ask, don't tell also. Uh, so we could all serve openly in the military. And then it will be uh, truly a uh, brotherly, brotherly experience. <laughs> oh, anyway, uh, I've uh, gone on and on, and I'm sure you all agree with me by now. Uh, so I guess we'll get back to this uh, show, although I don't know why you're listening to this crazy, crazy radical conservative. You should be ashamed of yourselves. But uh, okay, it's me, uh, Body Frank, and uh, I've got uh, some things to do that I can't really discuss on here. Okay, I'm, I'm going now, all right. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you for that, Barney. Barney Fag, everyone. Okay. Um, you know, since we're, we're, since we're on this topic of uh, <coughs> President Bush's legacy, um, I'll be remembered far better than this president, so I guarantee it. Let's get into that a little more. Do you want to Comment on anything. Three four seven three zero eight eight zero seven three is the number. And hey, if you're listening, uh, let people know that there's new time slots. Uh, let them know about the old time slots. So we're still we're still on Sundays, uh, five o'clock. Now we're on a ten. 
uh, on the week, during the week. That's good people listening. You know, I guarantee you won't hear you won't hear the you know the the cold hard truth. The facts anywhere else like you will hear. You know, I mean we're on uh you, know, you don't have Rush on or Sean on or Mark on, we're on after that, different times. So hey, if you're sitting on your computer or something, listen in, participate, join in. Um you know, I try to do a good job. Hope you enjoy it. Let other people know about it. Uh, that's the way we keep the show going. That's the way we get more people involved. You know? Uh, so, hey, it, keep listening, everyone. I appreciate any support that, uh, that you give me. Okay. Anyway, um, Let's get back to this, this whole issue we were we were discussing before. All right, look. No administration is perfect. No president can do everything flawlessly. Yeah. Only human. Only human. But on the defining issues, on the key things that this country needs. I think President Bush passed with flying colors. He did. You disagree with me, let me know. Yeah, we could talk about a couple of things, maybe some of the spending, um, immigration maybe, one or two other little things. Besides that, he was spot on with almost everything. I think this is a phenomenal president. I think this is a president that who I, I might rank Reagan or Lincoln ahead of them, but I think he's right there in the mix right after that with the likes of Washington, Jefferson, and him. But, you know, I think he deserves to be in the top five. Well, some of these historians might try and rank him towards the bottom. Well, no, towards the bottom are people like Carter, people like Buchanan, and eventually people like Obama. He'll be there, too. You can count on that. Count on that. Um, but for the time, but, you know, history will tell. He kept this country safe. These are responsible policies. These were post-9-11 policies that recognized the kind of world we were living in, that we're still living in. Although the mentality we have now has gone back to a pre-9-11 mentality. In fact, it's probably regressed even more than that, which is even scarier. It's even scarier. But with that said, with that said, he, you know, trying to say what I'll say about that. The economic policies are mostly responsibly cut taxes, um, spurred economic growth. Most of the administration saw pretty pretty solid uh, pretty solid growth. Can't ask much more than that. And when did things get bad? When the Democrats took control of Congress? When we stopped pushing the kind of agenda that this country needed? That's, that's 
big reason why we're in the position we are now. It's not President Bush's fault. They try to point the finger at President Bush. You know, it's not it's not his fault. You know, we have responsible social policies. Working towards protecting the unborn. Working towards putting an end to the gay agenda. You know, working towards promoting policies. Faith-based policies, promoting policies that that respected the traditions and the heritage of this country, that made that built this country, that made it great. You no, know, that's the part of it. That's the that's what it's all about. That's what America's about. You know? Really. That's really what it boils down to. That's what it boils down to. We've gone to the point now. That's certainly not respected. I don't think it is. In fact, I think the contrary. There's no respect for it at all. Nice if there were. But they've taken every policy now that President Bush had. They ripped him apart. They've called them irresponsible. They've called them the wrong policies. They've totally reversed course and everything. And so I, I wish it wasn't so. I wish I didn't have to be a pessimist with this, because I'm an idealist. I am an idealist. In every sense of the way, more so than almost everyone out there. But folks, this is going to be devastating to the country. It's going to be devastating in our future. We've got to put an end to it somehow. We've got to put an end to it. Because right now we have incredibly irresponsible leadership. I'll tell you on a real big fan of uh, William Henry Harrison. The man did nothing wrong during his presidency. He was, he was perfect in everything. What a great job he did. Now, yes, 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 you're thinking. Hey, wasn't that the guy who was dumb and didn't wear his coat while he was speaking and then he got pneumonia and died a month later? Yeah, but can you think of anything wrong he did in that month? Beats beats the two months we've had now. (laughs) By a long shot. By a long shot. That's true. But, um, tell you what, I, I don't know how anyone can defend What this president's doing now? I mean, sure they do, obviously. They're liberals. It's their job. Well, they don't have a job. They can do that. <laughs> but it doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't add up. You know? Why would anyone? How can anyone believe these things? Apparently, the country that the founders, that these great men built for us, the dreams, the visions they have for this country, for the greatness that it served. And it served you know, a lot of greatness. It had a, a long time. But we were flying high. We really were the model for the world. And in some ways, we still are. But in some ways, we're drifting away from that. 
You know, some people think that America has to join the world. No, the world's got to join America. Join what we used to be like. Yeah, the principle of life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Where's that go? Where's the Judeo-Christian foundation of our country go? It's completely vanished. It's disappeared in the thin air. Nowhere to be seen. Lost in this unforgiving world that you have. And how do we get it back? We can't give up. I certainly won't give up. We've got to keep fighting for it. It's really all we can do. Whatever way we can. We have to do it. We have to do it. Okay. Um, I'll touch on one or two other things in the show tonight. Um, yeah, if you want to call up, lend your voice. Uh, if you wish to comment, 347-308-8073. Give me a call. You have an opinion? Call up. Let me know what you think. All right. Excuse me. Anyway, that's just the way I say it. Some people think that perhaps looking at the world in black and white, or perhaps you're looking at the world on the standards of a different era. So I'll take the standards of a different hour over this hour any day. Then I think a lot of the standards we have today aren't progressive or regressive. And in a lot of ways we're going in the wrong direction. In a lot of ways we're going in the wrong direction. And the question really is, how do we write the ship? How do we get back on the path that made this country great? How do we do it? Out of it. Well, regardless of how we feel, the point is that something has to be done. We can't just sit here and let America fade away. It can't be an option. And for anyone who thinks it's an option to simply you know, have this mentality to, you know, you can't beat them, join them. Anyone who thinks that, 
they're a tremendous disservice to this country. They really are. And you know what? I don't know what we're going to have to do about it. I really don't. But the point is that the status quo, the status quo of what we're dealing with now, it really can't stand. You really can't. They can't stand. Because if it does, I think we can kiss this country goodbye. And if we See, some people have a surrender mentality. I'll never join these radicals. I'd rather go down fighting them. Because it's better to be right and be on the leading side of history than be wrong and be on the weak side. Okay, not right now. That's the God's honest truth. That is the God's honest truth. Anyone who says otherwise is just an instinct. That's the truth also. That's the truth also. All right. Uh, we're gonna we're going to let's see. Should we should we play it? I don't know. You know why not? For anyone new to the show, um, let's go ahead and play the Barack Obama liberal wisdom timeout. We'll have a new one of that on Sunday too, so that should be good. You want to you want to stay tuned for that one for sure. Um, okay, so we're going to play that. We're going to play that. Uh, be sure to keep listening. I'll be back right after the break. So only got three minutes. Uh, if you want to call, wish to comment on anything we've discussed so far on the show or anything we're going to discuss. Uh, the number is 347-308-8073. I'll be back right after this. Thanks. Uh, hello. Well, this is President uh, Barack Obama. It's good to be here. Uh, look, I'd like to thank uh, everyone out there listening uh, for your support of hope and change. Uh, you know, we, we fought hard in this last election, and we brought an end to the, the failed policy of George Bush for the past eight years. Uh, oh. Um, I think we've made a lot of progress so far. We've had a wonderful uh, stimulus bill, uh, full of lots of good stuff, and I hope everyone likes it. Um, uh, we've done a phenomenal job uh, shutting down Gitmo, and we're going to get those poor innocent terrorists out of there as soon as possible. 
Uh, I felt horrible that my Muslim brethren uh, were there. Uh, and def- I mean, I'm, I'm not a Muslim. Uh, sorry, I wasn't wasn't born in Kenya. I was born in Hawaii. Uh, apologize. I did not mean it. Now, anyway, so I'm trying to you know, uh, create a new bipartisan atmosphere here in America. I think we can all agree with my socials, uh, uh, secularists, uh, appeasing platform. Uh, look, uh, you know, I think it's a good idea. And, you know, America voted for change. You know, Americans overwhelmingly uh, liked me. Uh, and look, uh, we're going to govern like that. And we can't keep having these Republicans out there trying to stop change. I'm not going to have it. I'm not going to have it. I, I am the Messiah. And you should all be ashamed of yourselves for opposing anything I do. And I'll tell you, it's very unpatriotic. You know, if you want my policies to fail, if they fail, the whole country fails. And I think that I've done a pretty good job so far. You know, uh, I think anything's better than the uh, complete disaster we've seen in the past eight years. You know, I mean, finally, finally, we're rid of this George Bush. Uh, you can't do much worse. Uh, I don't know what, why you, you conservatives uh, think that I'm so bad and that this uh, this George Bush fellow uh, was so good when he started a war, uh, which I was against from the start. Uh, and his failed economic policies. Uh, you know, I, I inherited this recession. Uh, so uh, don't blame it on me. It's not my fault. And, uh, you know, we have to confront the major threats that we face. Uh, you know, at the top of that list uh, is definitely climate change. Uh, this is the defining issue of our time. Uh, that's why we need, uh, you know, some sort of carbon credit. Uh, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's important. If we don't stop climate change now, in the world as we know it will come to an end. We have to fight this issue, not this uh, fake uh, terrorist threat that all you crazy right-wingers think that exists. And look, look, we, we brought hope, and we brought change, and we've got to do that. We've got to change how we do things. And we've got to you know, win back our allies around the world that have been squandered the past eight years. Now, anyway, uh, thank you for listening to me. I uh, hope that if you, you know, uh, hope I convinced you, um, you know, if, if I did, Perhaps uh, you can join me and and, uh, and Sean Hannity when we get that beer. Uh, supposedly he's paying, but he's a pretty cheap, pretty cheap guy, so we'll have to see. But uh, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you once again for supporting hope, uh, for supporting change. Uh, and I'll let you uh, get back to this. Uh, although when I'm when I'm done with it, uh, we'll have to have equal time on this radio program. There's too much uh, conservative talk on here. Uh, but thanks for having me on. Uh, thank you. All right, thank you for that. Uh, thank you for saying. I mean, President Obama, excuse me. All right, that was the Liberal Wisdom Timeout. For those of you who don't know, that. give a few minutes every episode uh, you know, for a liberal or two to come on here. You have to listen to my conservative jargon the whole time, so give them a little chance to share their uh, to share their little spiel with us. So anyway, um, let's see here. I would love to stay for the second hour, but here's the story. Uh, okay. And I'm at home. I have my own private studio there, but whatever. I uh, had a little issue with my bandwidth here. So right now I'm dangerously close to going over. I don't want to go over it. So I'm going to probably have to stop in a few minutes uh, at the hour mark. Um, but I'll be back on again Sunday. Sunday at 5. Eastern, that is. 
first show then. Um, so I'll be sure to listen to that one. Be sure to listen to that. And, yeah, we'll see what happens with the week. I'd like to get a schedule going here. Um, I know it's a bit inconvenient. Everyone's wondering what times and whatnot. It's all over the map. So we'll try and, we'll try and solve that here. Um, do you have any ideas? Let me know. I'm going to find it. Um, you know, it's been, it's been fun. We have lots of, lots of liberal mocking to do, a lot of more uh, showing the complete fool President Hussein is to do. So um, <clears throat> we'll keep doing that. That's why I do that. That's why I do that. Hey, how many other people do you know? How many other, how many other people who have a, whether it's a talk radio show, whether they're just starting online or whatever, you know, how many people do you know who have the nerve to call President Hussein a terrorist, a Muslim terrorist sympathizer to his face? I did it. So, yeah, I say it how it is. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's another way. I say it how it is. And I just try and lay down the truth. Might like it, might not. All right. Why don't we take a call before the show ends? Um, hello, 18. You're on the AJ Bruno show. How's it going? AJ, how you doing? It's Jack Moreno. Oh, good. Have you idea? Okay. I uh, just wanted to call and say hello. And um, I don't know if you know anything about what I'm doing. Um, I'm an independent filmmaker, and I made a movie called Forgotten Heroes. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've heard of that movie, actually. Uh, so, yeah, anyone who's listening to the site was ForgottenHeroesTheMovie.com. I'm right. definitely going to check it out, so I think everyone should. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I'm, go- I'm going around looking for, uh, you know, for shows to get on to promote my film, you know. Yeah. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about it? Pardon me? Why don't you tell, tell us a little bit about it? Okay. It's, um, it's a Vietnam uh, film I made back in uh, 19... 88. It took me two years to complete. Uh, I got it done around 1990, and um, I made it basically to honor the Vietnam films uh, veterans because uh, all the Vietnam films that were coming out of Hollywood from 1969 on basically uh, spit on the Vietnam vets. Mm-hmm. Um, they that probably made about 25, 30 films in that time period. You know, both studio level and independent. Uh, the last uh, film uh, that showed them as heroes was John Wayne's Green Beret, and uh, the entire uh, liberal establishment attacked the Duke and the movie, and uh, basically did the same thing they did to Mel Gibson, uh, which drove up his uh, grosses on the on the film. Uh, but ever, ever since that time, they kept making uh, you know these these horrible movies, and I saw Platoon in uh, eighty, I think it was eighty five, I think. I wrote the script, Forgotten Heroes, uh, based upon some stories that I had heard from some real-life vets uh, that had been over there in some search-and-destroy missions. And uh, basically, it's about a Russian general who, played by William Smith, who's defecting for freedom. And these American troops go in there, the Marines, basically, the young kids, um, you know, they all get along. I wanted wanted to show the uh, conviction and the camaraderie between the men. I didn't want to show them basically angry and and killing their superiors and, uh, you know, baby killers and psychos and rapists is the way Hollywood had portrayed them. So what I basically did was I, I took, like, an old World War II-type story and uh, threw it in Vietnam. So uh, it's more of a, of a, a chase picture. Uh, once they uh, 
they they find the general. They go, they grab him and they they head back to the American lines. And Russian troops are sent in basically to get the general back and execute the uh, the Americans. And uh, <clears throat> so one of they have this confrontation on film between the Americans and the Russians in Vietnam, which uh, most of the studio executives uh, were basically dumbfounded. You know, they say, "Well, what's with the Russians?" You know. So uh, I said, "It's all symbolism." So. Anyways, the uh, it's it's a uh, you know in, independent low budget feature. I funded it basically myself through my partner and uh, uh, private money. Put it all together, shot, produced, and directed it. Uh, most of the actors are in there all first timers, friends of you know friends of mine, friends and friends of friends type of thing. And um, the only buddy with the name in it is is William Smith. He plays the Russian general. Uh, Bill's been around for years. He played Falcon Eddie and Rich Man, Poor Man. Poor Man. And then he um, he played the Russian colonel in Red Dawn, and it was around that time that I met him, about a year after the movie was uh, was released. And I told him about my idea, and he, he said, you know, when you get the script, send it to me. I love to read it, so um, I did, and then um, I got Bill attached to the project. And uh, like I said, it took about two years to get the film, uh, just enough money to get the film shot, you know. So it's at, you know I have a website now and it's uh, com. We're donating uh, 25% of the DVD gross sales to the American Veterans Disabled for Life Memorial Fund, which uh, Gary Sinise uh, is a spokesperson for that fund. And um, so we're trying to help do our, do our share to help the vets and uh, you know present a movie that uh, shows the. Uh, Shows them as heroes and uh, is, is a, has a heartfelt tribute to them. Unlike uh, the movies that uh, Hollywood has made in the past, and, and they continue to make these movies attacking the the troops in Iraq and Afghanistan and the first Gulf War and everything else. So uh, Hollywood is very consistent in their uh, anti-Americanism. Uh, I, I always felt that the town was full of malcontents with lots of money. So. Um, we have to turn this thing around on the pop culture. I, I believe that we can turn it around. We just have to get some funding for some filmmakers like myself who want to make uh, good films like the way they used to make them, like John Ford and uh, Frank Capra, Michael Curtis, and uh, you know Orson Welles, and all those great, great filmmakers. Uh, without any uh, the abuse and uh, you know going to a theater with family members and basically happen, happen to listen to the likes of Sean Penn and George Clooney and Tim Robbins basically look down from you at that screen and tell you that your country's lousy and your religion's lousy and your God is lousy and you know everything you believe in is lousy. I mean, you know, this, this is absolute insanity that we actually pay for this, you know. Um, so, you know, the public has basically all the control uh, in the world to change this and... Uh, if they support filmmakers like myself, you know, go to my website, you buy the film, you donate some money to the vets. It's all positive. It's a win-win situation for everybody. You know, I'd be able to get some more funding and make some more movies, even on a small level. But, I mean, that's how you start it. I mean, nobody's going to, you know, give me enough money to do a Star Wars. I mean, it's, you have to work your way up to that. So, yeah, uh, more. Uh, did you now did you let this, was it just sitting around for, for years, or have you been trying since you made it to get it out there? Well, I was I was been trying. I got blacklisted in the in the time to get myself little known within the uh, circles of the major studios. All the executives at the distribution level all got to know me. Disney saw my film ten times. I mean, they they do not screen films ten times by unknown filmmakers. I mean, you're lucky to get two. 
Usually they turn it down the first time you don't get a second screening. If there's a little doubt, sometimes they want to see another executive to see the film, and, and then basically they'll bring someone up higher up, and if he kills it, that's it. It's dead. You know, you can you never get in the door. I kept getting screenings uh, from Warner Brothers, uh, 20th Century Paramount. I mean, I had meetings with these people. Um, I was talking to... Um, most of the guys I talked to, like Alan Ladd, let's say it was when I was dealing with Alan Ladd Jr. I wasn't dealing with him personally, but I was dealing with his assistant, this fellow named Mike Fleischer. Now, Mike basically handles all the inside of the office, you know, his stuff. And uh, <clears throat> so they, they saw the film like four or five times, MGM, and they wanted to take it out a thousand prints. Now, from the, the, the arena where I came out of as a filmmaker, for me to go from where I started to that leap... Uh, is would would have been a miracle because nobody's made that leap and I came close three times and uh, I worked at, I came out of the AFM level of filmmaking which is basically this where all the filmmakers go who can't sell their pictures and it's a huge market and in the 80s it was exploding because of the uh, video uh, market and you couldn't make these films fast enough not not Forgotten Heroes level but let's say uh, movies uh, like my first film I made my first film they called Kill Zone. And um, it was a low-budget ramble. As a matter of fact, that movie changed the whole direction of the genre in the, at the American film market. We just changed the whole look of it. Everybody started making low-budget action pitches, you know, quick slam-bam things. And, and uh, some of them were doing them for 30000 40000 And you sell them worldwide for like half a million dollars. So it was, you know, because the, the videos, they would open up video stores all over the world, and they had to fill the shelf space with, with videos. And that's, that's why they, we couldn't make this stuff fast enough, you know. Uh, the problem with that whole scenario, you make a living there, but you don't, you know, once you're in there, basically, it's like that scene in uh, Midnight Express when all the guys are in prison and they're walking around that pole. And that's what it reminded me of, and I wanted to get out of there quick. And um, so I made a, uh, you know, I, I literally left the business, you know, um, I really wasn't in the business per se because I'd never taken a dime from the studios or any little low-budget independent or even a, an AFM independent distributor. I've, I always got my funding on the outside. So I was really never in the, in the loop. Um, most of the guys eventually would get uh, deals from pre-sales and stuff like that. So you're basically working with the distributor. I, di- I didn't want to stay in that realm. I mean, the, Hollywood will forgive you if you make one or two of these movies. But when you start making three and four films like that, five films, then you know you'll never get work anyplace else. You're basically stuck there, you know, forever. And uh, I saw that when I was in that arena, and I saw what happened to other guys I knew and other filmmakers. And uh, there's only a few of us still left from that era making some films, and uh, you know, I happen to be one of them. The thing is, is uh, when I when I made Forgotten Heroes, it was a major, major leap, both in production value, sound, look. Uh, story-wise, and it looked like a studio-level picture. Uh, the thing was, the, the the politics of my movie basically shut me out because I, the perception that Hollywood had worked on, especially after 1990, uh, they had made a movie called Casualties of War with uh, Sean Penn. I don't, I don't know if you'd seen that picture. Uh, Brian De Palma, you know, uh, another wonderful guy, uh, basically. Uh, made this most despicable Vietnam movie film ever made. And Sean Penn basically kidnaps this girl or he buys her from her family, I forget. And they proceeded to rape her through the whole first half of the movie and then they he shoots her off a bridge, you know. And that's the image that Hollywood left in the minds of everybody in the world. I mean, not just the 
the bias here and the distributors, but the, the, and the pop culture, um, because that was really the last Vietnam film made uh, by a major studio, and it left a bad taste in everybody's mouth. And here I come with this little film showing them as heroes, and they was like, you know, when you're showing the American army like they're Nazis, and then I show them like they're heroes, it's just like you know they don't understand, especially the young the young executives who grew up through the seventies and eighties watching this stuff. So, uh, but they were all very impressed with the, with the production values, just for the fact I never went to film school. I really never read a book on directing, and I just, you know, cause I, just, I lived my life as a kid in movie theaters. I just watched films, you know, the old films of Ben-Hur, Spartacus, The Bridge of the River Kwai. I mean, this is the stuff I used to see on a Saturday, Saturday matinee. I mean, kids today, if they're lucky, in 25 years, they see Bridge of the River Kwai in the theater. First run, first run picture by the Hollywood. I mean, it's just, it's, we used to see this stuff every weekend. The quality is going way down. you got films out there like, I mean, some of these I don't even bother seeing, Rendition and uh, other ones, which just shows, so, you know, disrespect for the, the government, the troops. It's as if, um, yeah, I mean, how do, you, do you see a difference between the way perhaps uh, a movie like yours made about Vietnam back then, and let's say there was one that was sympathetic uh, to the troops in Iraq, the same sort of deal now, or... Well, yeah, they're making a, you know, Brian De Palma made Casualties of War in 1990, it's a despicable film, and then uh, I think around 2, what, 08, 07 or 08, I forget, we protested the movie when it opened up, me and a bunch of my friends, we went up there and up to this theater up here in Hollywood on Sunset Boulevard, <clears throat> and the first 8 o'clock showing was, it was the movie called Redacted. I think it was about the the Hadesha Marines, basically. But he, uh, uh, some incident that happened that these uh, the Marines were killed on the street, and they ran into this house because they saw the terrorists running the house, and um, they ended up shooting everybody and raping the girls and everything like that. So you know how true that happened. You know nobody. I mean, not to say nobody knows, but I mean it's been all it's been documented. But I mean the movie just showed you know how how horrendous we are because. These people just hate Judge Bush, and they don't care if they get our, our boys uh, shot over there. You know, they, they, they were determined to get rid of Judge Bush and, and undermine the wall, just like they undermined the, um, you know, the Vietnam War. So you, what you have these in 1968, 69, you get these 20-year-old kids basically protesting the Vietnam War, and uh, when they're now they're in their late 50s, early 60s, and they're protesting this war. So it's like they're reliving a, like a nostalgic thing you know so but you know human lives are at stake here and uh, so all the movies that Hollywood has made in the last uh, four or five years of this war basically is against the Bush doctrine and, and, and the soldiers and stuff like that and and, and this generation of the troops um, are fighting back that's why you see a lot of stuff on the internet and they're challenging these people they're not they're not going to take it like the Vietnam guys did and a lot of the Vietnam vets Today, uh, basically defending the uh, uh, Iraqi troops and the, and the guys from the war on terror, because they're going to make make sure that these kids today don't get spit on and treated like they like they were like they were back in the in the, in the early seventies. So, and it is, and again, this is because nobody ever made a film to show the Vietnam guys in a positive light. So, uh, we only we've only been spoon fed what Hollywood has been dishing out. So, you know, we need we need another avenue to change this and not only with uh, Vietnam movies but movies with Iraq you know with the war in Iraq 
I've got a couple of scripts I'd like to do on Iraq. My son just came home from Iraq uh, after 18 months over there, and he's been telling me some stories. I'm going to have to pull it out of him, you know, some of his stuff. Uh, a few of his buddies. I told all his buddies when they went over there, I said, you know, when, when you get over there, write some journals for me. I said, you know, I don't care how uh, how lame it sounds, just write it. I'll, I'll, I'll write the story. Just I just want to have the names and all the, the locations and everything down so it's, you know, it's accurate. And then uh, there's, there's plenty of stories out there that, that I can make a film out of, you know, so. But uh-huh. kids being kids, they, you know, they, they write, they don't write, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's true. So, um, but you know, I'll begin the story. My, my sons came home. We came home with, uh, you know, over a thousand pictures. I mean, it's just phenomenal. You know, some of the stuff he's uh, photographed. So, um, and, you know, so I, I, there are stories. I, I intend to make a few films about Iraq and show the Americans basically again as heroes and show the terrorists for the uh, for the animals that they really are. You know. And I'd like oh. to make a I like to make a movie that shows the Viet Viet Cong what they did to our boys and how how animalistic they were. So you know we're always, we're always showing sympathy for the enemy. You know, like like Clint Eastwood made that movie on World War Two. I mean, uh, you know, he wanted to show the Japanese side. You know, they're writing home letters home to them to their parents and stuff like. That. I mean, th- these people wanted to conquer the world. You know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're spreading tyranny, and we're supposed to feel sympathy for them. And then, you know, and then in Iwo Jima, a lot of people don't know this, and you can look it up, it's all, it's all over the place. You know, uh, after three weeks of fighting on that on Mount Suribachi, you know, the Japanese, they ran out of food. So if you were a wounded Marine and you were near one of those trap doors, they grab you in there, and they cut you up, and they ate you. So you don't hear that. On, you don't hear. I, you know, I always felt, well, why didn't Eastwood put that in a movie? Yeah, well, you know, the Japs were animals back then, especially, I mean, I think some of these guys wanted to be killed rather than be taken to one of their POW camps. Of course, yeah. The the Japanese, you know, when we we liberated Japan, you know, I forget how many, like 10% of of these prisoners, the American prisoners, were um, brought back to the United States. I understand that not one Australian soldier was reaching. They cut every, they cut the head off every Australian prisoner. They just had it. They just had it for the Australians and the Brits. I mean, they just couldn't stand the Brits, and they and they hated the Australians. But the Americans, they just, you know, they beat us and starved us to death, and uh, you know, but they killed almost eighty, ninety percent of us, you know. Yeah. And um, unlike what the Germans would do, so, um, but. I mean, this stuff needs to be told because the American public is really, uh, you know, I mean, we're, we're inundated with so much stuff on television and the movies, and they, you know, they, they write revisionist history, and and the problem is, you get these young kids in the movie theaters, thirteen, fourteen year old kids, and they watch a movie and they think that's basically how history was, you know, they don't understand it's all artistic license, and a lot of it's propaganda, and they, you know, making a movie. I mean, I could have went any direction with my film. You know, if I if I uh, showed these guys the way they did in Platoon, I would have been got a distribution deal in 1990, and I'd probably be on my 20th film today, probably a 20, 30 million dollar production. Uh, anything better than Platoon? I hated that film. Yeah, yeah. There's some parts of it I I, I thought it was a good story. I mean, again, I look at things from a filmmaker's eye, so uh, I would have taken that story went a whole different direction with it. I mean, Oliver Stone. I mean, I can't stand the man, his politics. I've met him a couple times. Um, you know, but he, he's he's a heck of a technician. He's he's not an artist, but, I mean, when it comes to, uh, you know, I call him a propagandist. That's what he is, and he's good at it, and he's a good editor. 
He knows how to shoot. He knows what to shoot. He knows how to rile you up. Yeah. And um, but he's not an artist. I mean, I mean, these guys are not Orson Welles. You know, they're not John Ford's. They think they are, but they're not. And, uh, and a lot of these stuff, these guys, they don't. You know, they don't even have uh, any stories. I mean, the thing about Forgotten Heroes, I don't have a lot of effects. I've got some explosions, but uh, there's a story there. And, and, the, and my best, my best uh, group of people that love the picture are women. They just love the characters. I got a diverse group of guys. I mean, I have a young Hispanic kid who, who's a new recruit, and they're all picking on him. I got a wise guy Italian who basically takes him under his wing. Uh, I got an older fella who plays as a Sully. He's an old Irish kid. Um, I got two black kids, and uh, one's uh, very religious. The other one is, is a medic. And uh, then I have um, a lieutenant. Basically, he's a butter bar, so he's like you know a ninety-day wonder. And he's got you know he's uh, he's nervous through the whole picture, you know. So um, and who else I got? I got uh, I got a cowboy, you know. Uh, Big kid from Oklahoma, you know, and um, so I got a cross section of the of the of America, you know, and they all like each other, you know, and they go on this mission. And the first hour you get to really know them, and then uh, second hour things all things start uh, happening. So and um, well, I have I have a, I have a California surfer kid and a, and a Greek kid. I, I keep forgetting all these guys. I, have. Huh. I tell the story so much, I forget after stuff. So, but. Um, so it, it, it's a great, uh, and most of the guys, like I said, I've known from my uh, my first two films, and uh, a few of the guys in the movie were guys I knew in, in theater in Boston. So when I when I was acting in Boston, they flew out to be in the picture. So, um, so you know, it was it was a good little shoot. It was tough. It was six weeks shooting, and then it took two years to you know get the music together, and pay you know get raised the money to get the sound effects, and uh, I ended up scoring the film in uh, Czechoslovakia in Prague. I got a heck of a deal. The communist government had just collapsed, and Pavel was there maybe as president for about three months. And um, so the, the checks, you know, I remember one night I went out at about 4 o'clock in the morning to just go for a walk. I couldn't sleep. And, and um, I went out, and I'm walking in this town square, and uh, the place is crowded, full of people, and not a word is, they, they're not talking. They're just walking around quiet like they're in a big church. And because they hadn't been, they've never been allowed to be out past curfew since before Hitler. So you got two or three generations that had never been out at four o'clock in the morning, and they're all looking like this. So this is what it looks like, you know. It's pretty wild. So, so it's just, it was, huh? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, there was just it was just a you know a weird thing to see, and you know, and you know, people were talking, but they were like whispering, you know, and. um because they hadn't been out there, you know, they hadn't been out for years, so, so it, was, it was a good experience, and then uh, we came back, and then I, then I started, I mean, Warner Brothers was the first person to see my film, and this uh, head of distribution, I mean, she just went, she loved the picture, I mean, she called me like five minutes after the movie was over, and uh, she just said, this is an A film, and she just wanted to know who I was and where I came from, because nobody delivers finished films like like when I did. I mean, yeah. most people, most filmmakers, when they, they're either funded by the studio, and they go out and they shoot the film, they have a first cut, maybe a second cut, and they run what they call an interlock print. They have the sound on one projector and the film on another. And, you know, so this way the studio execs can sit there and they say, well, take this scene out, change this, change that. And everybody puts their thumbprint on the movie because they're paying for it. And then basically uh, you end up with what you end up in the theater. And that's okay for the for the director if he doesn't care he's getting paid, you know, and then he gets all all the recognition. 
but for me, is you know, I had to finish the film, take it to what it would look like when you saw it in the theater. So they called it an answer print, and I, uh, uh, I was screening technically, which which would have been my release prints. You know, I've had some uh, uh, major theater theater chains wanted the film. Uh, these these guys in Dallas had uh, they're called Cinemark Theaters. Uh, the CEO had seen the film. Uh, he he was really happy with it. At the time, they had three thousand screens. This is like ninety one, ninety two. Uh, I think they're up to five thousand screens now, all over the country. And he, he, he they said, Jack, just give us fifty three prints. He said we can sell a lot of popcorn with this movie. So they were going to run those fifty three prints through three thousand screens, which would have given me a major theatrical release. And you know. I would have got the, my, you know, my all my ancillary rights would have went through the roof. All the European sales, my my U.S. video would have been a huge video. Um, if the, you know, the, through that process, the Vietnam vets would have discovered it the way they did Platoon, and um, you know, probably would have went through the roof. So, um, but you know, there's the, the just certain events happen. It just didn't happen that way. So, um, it was just a lot of it was a lack of funding, and uh, again, politically. Uh, the studios wouldn't touch it. They would, you know, they never would tell me outright. You know, they'd say, "Well, we're not, we wouldn't pick up this type of film." And I would say, "What type? What type is that? Well, this genre." I said, "What's well, a war movie?" I mean, what's, 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 you know? And I played like, "What's the big deal?" You know, just, but they would never come out and say, "Well, you know, it's a John Wayne picture," which it's not. But I mean, my film is really when you watch it, it's more of an anti-war picture than anything, you know. But I just show the heroics of everything and uh, what these guys go through and, you know, and what they feel that most people, most civilians are not exposed to, you know. So, um, but then, you know, on, on another level, I, I got into uh, a lot of negotiations with distributors and I wanted to get paid and they don't like to pay anybody. They just basically tried to steal my film a couple of times, uh, set me up to sign a contract, you know, promising me there's money and they had no money. Because see, once I once I sign a contract, and then they they have access to my negative. I mean, it's you know, once they grab your negative, that's it. I mean, it takes you years and years and years and thousands of dollars in attorneys to get it get it away from them. By that time, they can basically destroy the picture in the marketplace. You know, so I I wouldn't sign anything, my partner and I, until there was a cashier's check on the table. So. And we demanded money, and a lot of a lot of people in this town, I, I really upset, especially the group of guys who were from Orion Pictures. And I, I, I actually got so frustrated, the both of us, we just we wrote our own contract. And when I delivered that contract, that their attorneys, they were livid. I mean, it's like, like I'm an unknown filmmaker. You don't send us contracts. We send you contracts. I said, no, no, no. I'm a manufacturer of product, whether it's a movie or a pizza or shoes. I'm hiring you to take it to the public. You get a fee for this. You don't take the whole movie. You know. I even told one group of guys, I said, you know, you guys want forty, fifty percent. I you give me no money up front and you then you then you run the expenses up and you take the expenses off the top. I said, You know something? I can get a better job with the mob. I said, They give me fifty percent, they give me all the money I need and all the protection I need. You're not giving me anything except grief. I gotta give you fifty percent of that? I said, what do, you, what do you think I fell off the Turner truck yesterday? So, now, you know. If you had a different sort of film, what would they have offered on average for those? What's that? If, they, if it was more of a, you know, traditional, what they usually take, the anti-war, uh, more liberal point of view, what, what would, what's the going rate offer for those? Well, you know, in 1990, they the, the studios put a $3 million price tag on my film. So, 
you know, you remember the movie Swingers? Yeah. Okay, that that supposedly cost because I was taking Forgotten Heroes around when Disney picked that up, when Merrimax picked that up. Now that movie cost two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Now all the guys were more or less unknown. I think one or two of the stars had done some TV stuff, you know. Uh, they got six million dollar advance for that picture. That's what they paid for it. Now, whether they got the six million all up front or they got three up front and three after the release, I, I don't know what the specifics of the deal were, but they got six million up front. And then they got a three-picture deal to make more movies. And that's basically what they usually do. On my first film, Killzone, I got um, an independent distributor, which is, I got them to put up uh, almost what we paid for the film, and um, which is unheard of. I mean, those guys never give money up. Usually the major studios will write you a check for three four million dollars basically as um to avoid any kind of lawsuits it's, you know it's they pay you off and there's nothing because they got they got billions of dollars so uh if they put up three million dollars for forgotten heroes and then they put up another three million to market the film then that's that's only a six million dollar nut they have to recover and uh and they, and they own the film in perpetuity and they, you know, with a major studio, they can recover that real quick. You know, between that, and they don't even have to go theatrical. You know, I, I was offered um, from a company up in Kansas City, and he had sent me a deal memo, and the, his name was Gene. The guy really loved the picture, and as a matter of fact, the, the parent company was Westinghouse, and they had just released Midnight Clear, and he wanted to get my film out right after Midnight Clear. Now, Midnight Clear had Gary Sinise in it and Kevin Dillon. It was a beautiful, beautifully shot movie but again it had the same left-wing problem that all these films have this is about a world war ii squad of guys you know during the battle of the bulge and they and they uh it was christmas time and they're facing this squad of germans and they have a truce and they get to know the germans they exchange food and gifts and stuff you know and then when the season's christmas season's over they have to kill each other i mean they've done this story many times in world war one films and you know through the years and yet, but yet the actors, uh, basically these World War II guys, are sitting there debating, you know, you know, why are we here? Why are we killing these people? They, they didn't do anything to us, you know. And, I mean, this is World War II. Americans talking about Nazis. So what they interject, what I call the Vietnam Syndrome, which never re- even existed with the Vietnam guys. This is this is what the anti-war protesters and all the movie actors and, and directors like Spielberg and these guys who were part of the '60s uh, revolution. This is what their perception was of the Vietnam guys. So now they interject the same syndrome into World War II, and Spielberg did the same thing with uh, Saving Private Ryan. The same, the same nonsense was in that movie. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to present that all soldiers are like this. They don't want to be there. They don't want to fight, uh, no matter who the enemy is. And... Um, and all the Vietnam guys I knew that went over there, they, they said it was one hell of an adventure. I mean, it was the, the highest uh, uh, highlight of their life, basically. It was the biggest rush they ever had in their life, you know. And a lot of these guys I knew saw a lot of, lots of action. I mean, this is where I more or less got the story from. So here I am as a 21, 22-year-old kid. I'm working with these 26, 27-year-old guys uh, basically had two, three tours under their belt. Um, and I'm hearing stuff from them funny stories, funny things, you know, and then you go to the movies and you see this whole, this whole different perception that's, you know, and I'm sitting here, well, why don't they make a movie about you guys? You know, all the fun you guys did over there, you know, and uh, it wasn't because Hollywood has an agenda. Once they grabbed the business in 1969, 70, 
this is what it's been. Attack America, break it down. Just you know, just show us, like Michael Medved said, you know, Hollywood makes movies now to basically show America and the Americans and the world that they hate America. And years ago, Hollywood used to make movies where Americans and the world fell in love with America. And we need to bring that back. And uh, I do believe we can do it. It's just a question of getting some funding and getting the conservatives together to, to uh, you know, uh, put this thing together. Uh, but conservatives are not like the liberals. Uh, I come from a Democratic background in, in, out of Boston. And the only thing about Democrats is they stick together even if they hate the leader. They hate him. They're going to vote for him and make sure he becomes, you know, because it's about power and about control. Conservatives are too picky. You've got some guys who like this candidate, that candidate. They like McCain. They like, you know, and the, and the liberals basically use this and they divide and conquer us. This is this is why we're in the situation we're in. So, you know, I always tell people they got to, you know, you want to beat the Democrats, you've got to think like them and you got to fight like them. And it's not only going to win. So, um, but I do believe that if we make movies like this, we can slowly get back, you know, the the pop culture. I mean, my, my intention is to make movies where the liberals are the bad guys. Yeah. So, you know, like, like say, for, a, for instance, for a movie like um, Frank Capra's A Wonderful Life. You've got George Bailey, this young guy, you know, you can, you can bring it up contemporary, you know. Uh, you can, you, you can, instead of having uh, World War II, his brother's, in, you know, Harry's in the, in the army in World War II. He's, he comes home from uh, Iraq, so, you know, his, his uh, George Bailey trying to build houses, you know, for... Uh, low-income people, and uh, instead of having this evil capitalist uh, trying to put pressure on him, you make the you make the that guy a, a, an environmental bureaucrat. You can't build over here. You can't do this. You can't. They just tweak it, and you change the whole you change the whole story. Well, and that's what you do, and that's what we need to do. And we need to attack them basically and expose their ideology as the farce that it is, and educate basically, uh, you know. Um, the people that they basically dumbed down in all our schools from kindergarten to to PhDs on the graduate level. Right. Right. Yeah. Say there's a lot of conservatives in Hollywood. Just most of them, you know, you can't be vocal about it, or you're pretty much done in the business. Like, uh, oh yeah, uh, what's his face who just died? Um, I can't think of his name. The guy who played Bruno in The West Wing. Uh, oh, Charlton Heston. What's that? Charlton Heston. Um. I can't think of his name. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, Bruno, uh, wait, no. Uh, Ron Silver, that's his name, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, Ron, oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, he came out there. Uh, he was a lifelong Democrat, started right. saying he supported Bush, supported the war, pretty much ended his career. I mean, you, you can't have any difference of opinion out there unless you're really successful and established or they just totally shut you out. I mean, talking oh, yeah. about liberal tolerance, there's no tolerance for anything but their same no. points of view. That's why. That's what I call. I call this place the land of the tolerance and the and the valley of the rejection. That's what I call Hollywood. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, I I I belong to the uh, the Hollywood Congress of Republicans. See, see, with me it doesn't matter because I mean I I've never taken a dime or a job from Hollywood. So there's you know they, even though they they black they blacklisted me for over 15 years, I couldn't get work in this town. Here I am making. I'm a filmmaker. And I directed a movie. I can't even get a job cleaning toilets on a Warner Brothers lot. So, um, you know, so it, you know, again, my 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 escape route was the, was the private sector. So I mean, I got work on the on the outside of the business. So I managed to survive. But you know, if, if all you do is act like Ron Silva, 
or any of these guys. Uh, you know, I know uh, Robert Davi, and uh, you know uh, Bob told me, you know, when he came out to support Bush in the re-election, he has not worked in an A-level film since. And um, he made a movie with Chaz Palminteri. I guess uh, Bob raised the money with a, a bunch of investors. Uh, he's, he's even introduced me to him. He made a movie called The Dukes. It's a great little picture. It's about an old doo-wop group that they're trying to have a comeback. You know, they're, they're getting together and trying to make some extra money, and it's, it's, a, it's a comedy. It's, it's funny. And, uh, and it's a good little picture. You know, they can't get distribution for it either. They're taking it around. And the money that uh, the, the, the investors who put the money up to make the film, I mean, are also putting the money up to uh, take the film around, you know. Um, so, I mean, it's played theatrical. I don't know how well they're doing. I don't know if they sold video, I mean, uh, cable or pay-per-view rights yet or even for any foreign, you know. Um, but then, and then they made that movie with uh, David Zucker. Uh, Zucker, uh, The American Carol. I mean, that was a pretty big budget film, but it only got like a 13 theater release and, and the, you know the, and the liberal media killed it you know so you need to get you need to have a concept where the conservatives will come out in droves like like mel gibson had with the passion i mean mel was like you know a hydrogen bomb in this town and and, and they hate him for it because he's a guy who basically funded his own movie because he took the script around and they wouldn't they wouldn't touch him so he funded it so then he had a distribution deal with 20th century fox and basically, he was waiting all that time, and he milked it to, just to get the publicity. And uh, once Murdoch said no, they're not going to take it out because uh, Mel had uh, a first and last refusal deal with them. Uh, he became a free agent, and then he took it to uh, New Market Films, and uh, they were calling him all kinds of names. And he just milked this thing, and mil- I mean, like, like he told a friend of mine, he said, "I can't pay for. I don't have the money to pay for this kind of advertisement." And they would they attacked him every day for a year. And that's basically in that year, he sold so many tickets that he was already in profit before the film was released in the theaters. It's, it's a stroke of genius, and and the Hollywood knew this, and uh, you know, and that's why they hate him for it. So, you know, then the movie goes out there theatrically. He hires this uh, this new market cinema or new what are you, new market films. They don't really distribute the film. They call it rented. He rented the distributorship. He puts up the money, and they they send it through their network. You know, so they all they get is a fee for that because they can't write off expenses because it's not their expenses. They got to show him a report. You know, and um, so the movie grows with six hundred million dollars. I mean, no one filmmaker ever made that kind of money in the history of Hollywood. It all went in Mel's pocket. And they're livid because if Tom Hanks did this, and then Tom Cruise does it, and uh, you know uh, Bruce Willis does it, and Jim Carrey does it, guess guess what happens to the motion picture studios? They put a for sale sign on there. Yeah. So and that's what happened. That's why they were you know they 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 tried to ruin the movie. But again, you know it's a it's a movie about Christ. Uh, no one had ever seen Christ uh, depicted this way. You know, and uh, it just went through the roof. You know, so I mean, it's any film that gets that kind of publicity is just going to make you know all kinds of money. So it doesn't make any sense either because these these companies, um, you know, there's not a liberal probably on any of their boards, and you think these studios would want the films that make them the most money? Just doesn't add up. Well, you know, again, this this is another perception that the public has. You know, the studios are in business to make money. 
Yeah, they were when Louis B. Mayer ran MGM and Jack Warner ran um, Warner Brothers, you know, because they were privately held companies and they had to show a profit because they had stockholders. Uh, today, the studios are basically part of multi multinational conglomerates. So there's like four or five hundred companies in this conglomerate. I mean, if five, six companies are losing money, it's write offs for them. So uh, this is why they can give Kevin Costner seven films in a row and, he, and every film bombs, you know. Uh, they can give Oliver Stone six, six or seven films in a row, and they bomb, you know, because it's an agenda. This film, they don't care about uh, making profit, you know. And, and, and within this, and it, then it's all about odds, you know. It's, it's, it's if you go for every Kevin Costner bomb and, and uh, Oliver Stone bomb, you know, they'll make a Batman, you know, which will basically go through the roof, you know. But they release about twenty, twenty something films a year, and. Um, Nobody knows what films they have will come out. You know, once once in a while you get a, you get a major hit like like Iron Man. That's the one you know. And 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 all those films that make money have conservative values. You know, the good the good guy wears the white hat. You know, and uh, and he's you know he has a little bit of a religious to him. You know, he's a little religious and uh, he stands for something. He's uncompromising, and people just relate to that. When you get movies where you know the women is is. Uh, is just as tough as a hero as the hero. I mean, where's the drama? Yeah. So they don't know how to tell movies anymore. They just know how to spend money, just kind of like the the Democratic Congress. They don't know how to govern, but they know how to spend money. And yeah. you get the same mentality in the motion picture studio. So, and that's why movies are flat. And that's why a lot of a lot of people just don't go see films, you know. And I do believe if you know if, if my, my problem is to get people to know who I am and what my film's about. And once that you know people get get hold of that, I think it's going to take off. And uh, especially with the vets, just from the response I'm getting now from Blog Talk Radio and my websites, and people are buying the film. They're sending me the nicest emails. Uh, you know, it's, I have all the, I have all their comments on my my website. I have a I have a testimonial page. People put like one or two sentences, and then, then I have full blown reviews from people that just take the time to write me a nice review and. Um, so it's 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 all been positive, and uh, and I think that's that's what my market is, and I don't want to really deal with people in Hollywood. It's like I don't I don't really care if liberals buy the film or not. Just you know, <laughs> they're only going to trash it anyway. So, and um, you know, and, and again, uh, you know, uh, a lot of conservatives out here, like you mentioned, uh, the group I belong to, uh, I'm really the only one with a 35 millimeter feature. And because uh, I, I shoot on film, I don't shoot on digital. And uh, everybody thinks digital is cheaper, but it's really in the long run it isn't, you know. And um, okay. so I, I like shooting on film. I like cutting on film, you know, because I came out here to be a filmmaker, not a you know digital maker. So, but again, people can't they can't raise the money. So when they had the three the three conservative film festivals. I was really the first guy to call him up and, uh, and talk to, to the guys who set this up. And, you know, what the, the the head guy and the one in Texas said that I was exactly what they were looking for, my story, my movie. Uh, and I said, well, you know, I'll be the poster boy because um, uh, Michael Moore had just come out with Fahrenheit 9-11. And the conservatives were all upset. And uh, so they wanted to do something to retaliate, you know, and, and take some attention away from Michael Moore and all these leftist films. So they come up with this, uh, and I said, I said, his name was Jim. I said, Jim, you know, you're not going to find any films out there. You're not going to find films of conservative filmmakers out there. They don't exist. I said, you'll find some, you know, digital movies. You'll find some shorts. Uh, you, you know, if you find a, a, a one-hour documentary on, on, on terrorism or illegal aliens, and that's what they found. That's all they had. That's why the 
the, the markets have literally petered out because there's no supply. And conservatives won't back a guy like me. I mean, if I got enough money to make, you know, let's say uh, $1 million movies or even $2 million movies, I mean, I'd get enough money to do five, six, seven films a year and just crank them out, plus two documentaries, you know. And um, I just run them down my own distribution pipeline. So I never have to go to Hollywood for anything. And that's that's what that's my goal, you know. And uh, and you tell this to a few conservatives out here, and they look at you like you got three heads. It's like, well, you, I got my ideas are too grandiose. I said, well, that's because I came out of the American film market. <laughs> and I says, and there's only a few of us who have survived the distribution of the American film market because, like I, I call them legalized gangsters because that's what they are. Yeah, they steal everything from you, and there's really nothing you can do because you're signed a contract. And at that level, you don't get attorneys. I mean, it's just like, you know, <laughs> you're not getting paid yet. I mean, you put all your money in your film and you're basically broke. And they know it, you know. And sometimes they'll throw you five grand back, ten grand, maybe twenty, twenty-five thousand. Well, they've basically, they've, they've taken maybe uh, a couple of hundred thousand dollars. That's your money. That's good, yeah. So it's just, you know, it's, go ahead. Have, they, uh, have you gone to any private, uh, you know, wealthy people out there, uh, finance, film, or any s- smaller studios that are more receptive? To that well, not, there used to be a lot of, when I first came out here in the 80s, you know, from the old days in the 60s and 70s and all, but what happened to studios in 1990-93, uh, they never really cared about, the, the majors never really cared about the AFM level marketplaces, but... You know, there was such an explosion of low-budget films, the studios decided to get into that market. And uh, that's when they bought Merrimax, and they bought um, Turner Films, and then they bought Vidmark, and they bought Promark, and they brought all these different companies where guys like me would go and make a foreign deal with. So they started gobbling up these companies, and now there was no place to go. You know, and there hasn't been since probably the late uh, uh, 19, oh, 1990s. I mean, when the, when the AFM broke for me, about 96, 97, and then um, all the people I knew in between 1985 and 97, they've just scattered to the winds because the money dried up, everything dried up. You know, my ex-partners on my first film, they they formed a company. They even had a distribution company. They had a distribution company. They had a video a video arm, and they made about 50 films in 10 years. They were just cranking them out, and they glutted the market. They basically killed the, they killed themselves because you know, people just got tired of watching those films. And I, I heard that the, the foreign buyers in, in Germany and France, you know, they would buy these films and send them back, you know, because uh, he was using the same actors, doing the same thing. It was just the, it was the same movie with a different title. Wow. Was, that's basically what they were doing. You know, and, and the foreign buyers got wind of it, and they, that's when they started going after, uh, uh, you know, in those days, the Schwarzenegger was making uh, Total Recall and all those kind of films. So they figured, hey, why, why buy ten little nothing movies when they can spend their money and buy one recall, yeah. you know, and make more money? So that's, that's, that's basically what happened. So, and the majors did all that for that reason. So, so these small little buyers, you know, in Israel and Poland would have to be forced to buy, you know, the Schwarzenegger movies and stuff like that. So, um, so they basically put us all out of business. And that's why for 10 years I tried to get a theatrical deal because even the cable companies uh, out here, they, you know, they like my movie. And they say, yeah, we'll pick it up if you get a theatrical attached to it. So and that's why I was so focused on the U.S. theatrical. And, you know, I, I came, you know, that one, those one guys from Orion, if uh, if they had just 
give me some kind of guarantee on paper or give me some kind of money up front, I would have probably signed with them, you know. Uh, I ended up going back to the AFM level distribution. Uh, I made I made a deal with the guy we, we put him on a performance contract. He had to sell so much so much he had to sell so much money for so many months and we would give him more more territories. But when money was owed me, he refused to pay it. He didn't steal it. He just didn't pay me. He breached the contract, so I sued him. Uh, it took me three years to you know, get to court. And when I did, I won the case. I basically put him out of business. But then I, I had to close my office up, too. So in 96, 97, I had to move into my house. And that's where I've been working ever since, you know, working different jobs and trying to sell forgotten arrows. And it took us uh, between 96, 97 to about 2000. Five to raise enough money to uh, get the negatives. Uh, I, had, I had to fix the negatives. A couple of scenes I wanted to cut out, so I cut out, and, um, and I had to do the whole ending credits over. And the opening credits, we put a, 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 a credit, a quote from a brigadier general, Vietnam Vietnam era uh, soldier who, who retired as a brigadier. He really liked the pictures. I wanted to put that quote in the front of the movie. And then you had to get the artwork done, and basically you had to get the DVD master made. So, fortunately, at the time, I was working in a post-production house, so I got a real good deal. And uh, the, the guys there really helped, because a lot of, there was a lot of filmmakers that I knew from the old days. And now they're all, like, executives in these post-houses. They, they quit their filmmaking career. <laughs> they got jobs. And, uh, and I met so many people that I had worked with and met in the... Uh, early 80s in these post houses you know uh we all had uh, we were all thin then and black hair and now we're all old most of the lot of our ball I, I thank god i kept my hair so but we're all gray head men so uh but it was funny meeting all these guys i hadn't seen for 20 something years 20 25 years and now they're all they were all my boss you know and they all knew i stuck it out with the film so they 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 would help me out and uh you know help me out with the duplication they just they just wanted to see me succeed so uh, so it was great to see some of these guys. So that's basically what we were doing. And, and again, as luck would have it, uh, we got some money to get uh, the DVDs made. And then I opened up this distribution company called Heroes Distribution, and uh, and we're selling off the internet. And that's that's my window, basically. I can I literally reach out and touch every American who's uh, conservative, loves the troops. You know, uh, there's, there's so many uh, so many women out there, on, especially on Facebook. You know, they belong to these uh, mothers of troops, uh, you know, uh, save the troops. I mean, there's just so many groups that all these women are attached to, and they network like crazy. So, I mean, I, I'm getting, you know, they, they tell one girlfriend, tells another girl, I'm, I'm, I'm making sales to these to these girls. So it's uh, it's really fascinating, you know. And then they, they watch the movie, and they're they're so emotional when they say it. So it's, just, it's, it's great. Because, so, you know, like I said, I just tried to uh, bring back those old feelings that people would see when they watched the, you know, a, a Dana Andrews one movie or, a, or an Errol Flynn one or a John Wayne one, and, you know, so, and that was my goal, and it took me 20 years to, to see it unfold, you know, so, uh, but that's that's just the way the cookie crumbles, so, but hopefully if, uh, you know, we make a lot of noise out there, I will run into some conservative venture capitalist, I, I always talk about, uh, you know, I want to find my own uh, George Seros, a conservative George Seros, who's very upset with the with the pop culture and is willing to spend the money to change it. So, and I'm the guy that was, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll sit here and work as a filmmaker in a sweatshop if I have to, because I love the process. So. <laughs> yeah. 
not it's a lot of fun, you know, and, and I have a lot of friends. I mean, I have a lot of friends who stuck it out, actors, writers, uh, crew people. I know people that have cameras, camera equipment. I like my DP on Forgotten Heroes, Peter Wolf. Peter has a small little studio up in Camarillo. He's shooting all digital now because that's, you know, all his clients, they want everything want digital. They shoot a lot of commercials up at his place. So that's what's keeping him alive. And um, But Peter is the only uh, deaf, mute director of photography filmmaker in Hollywood. And uh, and I, I've known Peter since 85. And Forgotten Heroes was the, well, it was the second film that he worked as the head DP of, of, a, of a major, it was, it was a major film for all of us, you know, a major jump production-wise and everything. And that was all because of my partner, uh, John Liebert. He didn't, you know, he didn't want to make, you know, uh, the films that me and Peter and all these guys came out of that realm. He wanted to take us to a higher level, which he did. And uh, thank God he, he thought the way he did, because most of these guys that have money um, that invest like that, you know, as long as you make money, they don't care what you make, you know. And um, But he wanted to, you know, make, make the film, and he gave me every opportunity so I could... Uh, I could shoot a good-looking picture, you know, with good acting and good everything and special effects, and uh, we kept enhancing it, enhancing it, you know, and uh, and that's where we got today, and and now we're getting the results we wanted. So, and um, we're trying to get the film, um, you know, to the deaf community too, because uh, uh, Pete is very, you know, he's more or less pretty famous in the deaf community around the country, and uh, he's he's that most of the films he makes are for deaf people. He's you know. The, the actors are actually deaf and they sign language and stuff. I've been in a couple of his films, but uh, you know, I, I don't have to learn to sign because I, I, I'm Italian, so I talk with my hands. So it's, it's it's very easy for me to talk to, to deaf people. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah. but well, I'll finish your thoughts, sir. Yeah. So you know, people can go to the site and it's uh, you know www.forgottenheroesthemovie.com and uh, we're donating uh, five dollars from every DVD basically uh, to the uh, American Veterans Disabled for Life Memorial Fund. So uh, it's a good cause and uh, you're going to get yourself a good little movie for your collection and um, and basically you know help a vet. I mean, if I tell people if they have a Vietnam vet in their family. Uh, you know, father, uncle, grand grandfather, whatever. This would make a good little gift for them, you know. And um, just to let them know that somebody uh, wanted to say thank you for them, you know, because Hollywood, Hollywood has no respect, not even for itself. So. Yeah, uh, that's the truth. Well, hey, thanks for coming out. Hope everyone checks the site out. Okay. Well, yeah. and, and thanks for having me call in, AJ. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'll, I'll probably catch you on the on the blog, the blogosphere over here, you know. No problem. You got it. Yeah. All right. Well, hang in there, and uh, and I'll I'll definitely will call you. You know. All right. So, uh, yeah. Call All right. All day. right. Great. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye bye. All right, everyone. That was a great uh, great guest we had on there. Uh, okay. Um. So I guess we're end up going on this two hours there. Um. Okay, I'll, I'll close off here with a few thoughts. we got about 10 minutes or so left in the program. Um, now, let me, explain, let me expand a little bit on, on that whole issue, and we'll, then we'll wrap up. Yeah, I, mean, I, I myself am interested in, in acting. Um, when I get around to it, I'll write a screenplay, too, once I finish my novel. Uh, so that's all on my bucket list. I'll do that. Speaking of which, that's a movie. Okay. Anyway, 
<clears throat> get to that eventually. Um, but, but, what, I mean, you know, for these people to be out there saying they're so tolerant and liberal and progressive and whatnot, but anyone who has a different opinion is completely shut out. And that's the way they are, not just in, not just in Hollywood. That's the way liberals are in Washington. That's the way they are across the country. You know? They're tolerant if you agree with them. If you don't agree with them, too bad. Too bad. You know? Oh, well. That's your loss. That's, you know, you're bad. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean... They, you know, what can we even say about them? Because nothing we say about them will ever change the way they are. Will ever change the way they are. I mean, fortunately, there's more conservatives than liberals in this country. I mean, if you look at any poll, it'll say roughly third conservative liberal, everyone else says in there in the middle. So, you know, people do lean to the right. So they can probably accomplish more by grabbing more of those people in the center. The more of those, I mean, yeah, there's liberals you can bring over to the right side, of course, but a lot of people who are sensitors just aren't convinced. So let's, you know, talk to them. Tell them why these liberals are way out there in left field. And, well, pun intended, yeah. Um, uh, you know, that's that's how these battles are won. Whether they're culturally uh, and out of the media, whether they're politically, that's how you do it. You're pulling people bit by bit. You start with the ones aren't too sure, haven't really been persuaded um, by anyone in particular strong enough for them to move in that direction. And that's really how it's done. I think too often we don't do that. That's really unfortunate. It really is. So I think if we did that more often, we'd be in a lot better shape. We would. And also, I think it's shameful that we don't. It's really, really sad. Because we're just letting this just get away from us. I don't know why we would do that. It doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense at all. That's, that's what the lab does. They do whatever it takes to go out there and fill people's heads with lies. And and if they're not, they're saying, well, hey, agree with me or else. That's the way they are. It's sad, but it's true. 
It really is true. And we've developed this mentality in our country, in our society, that left is good and right is wrong. Well, whatever happened to civil discourse in this country, whatever happened to, you know, talk about freedom of speech. Yeah, freedom of speech, if you agree with this twisting of our values, this misrepresentation of what makes America great. That's really the defining issue today. To me, that's what it's all about. That's really what it's all about. Honestly, it's this this is another thing I can't allow to continue. People got to stand up and keep standing up and push back because these these radical leftists they're like a schoolyard bully. They're like a schoolyard bully. If you don't stand up to the bully, keep pushing you and pushing you and pushing you, and it'll get worse and it'll get worse. But if you finally stand up to that, finally hit the bully back, well, they can't take that. Just like when you're arguing with a liberal. You know what happens when you've won the argument. They start cursing you off. They stop trying to make points to counteract what you're saying. Same thing with that. It really, it really is that simple when you think about it. That really is the way it is. That's really the bottom line. I don't think there's a whole much more to say about that. But, um, <clears throat> hey, well, uh, let me close with a few comments. You know, a couple minutes we have left. Um, Thanks for listening, anyone out there who's uh, tuning into this program. Um, be sure to listen to the Sunday show. It'll be out at 5 Eastern, like it has been the past few weeks. And we'll be back next week at the same time on week. So let's, let's get people listening to that, too. Um, you know, I, I think this program does a lot that a lot of others don't. And so that's, <laughs> you know, if you're looking for something different, not the same old thing, you know, I'll tell you, I, I say things, I'll do things, most other people won't, just the way I am. It's just the way I roll. That's, that's just how it is. Um, I'm not going to play the PC game, not going to blah, 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 you know, all that stuff. But uh, tune in, keep listening, keep the show going. Tell your friends about it. Tell your friends about it. Um, like I said, always looking for early hires for my administration. So if that interests you. Now, we did release the new uh, liberal wisdom timeout. So we got a couple ready to go. So, you know, see who it is. It might have a new Barack Obama. It might be Chucky Schmucky Schumer. Um, 
So tune in on Sunday. Find out who it is. Keep listening. Anyway, from the command, this is AJ Bruno, and this is the AJ Bruno Show. I'm signing off. Until next time, see you later.